This is an ABC podcast. Carmaker Toyota is cutting its global production by 40% because of a shortage of microchips. Supply of semiconductors, which are needed for everything from power steering to electric windows, have been hit hard by production delays because of COVID, also by drought in Taiwan, the world's biggest producer of computer chips. Semiconductors are one of the most vital things in the world. Taiwan basically is the Saudi Arabia of semiconductor production in the world. Semiconductor microchips, also known as chips, computer chips or integrated circuits, are the oil of the electronic age. And the tiny island of Taiwan has cornered the market in their production. Hello, I'm Annabelle Quince, and this is Rear Vision, the program that gives you the story behind the headlines. In this episode, how Taiwan cornered the market in microchips and what this means for the global economy. Semiconductor microchips are basically a set of electronic circuits on a small, flat piece of silicon. These circuits act as miniature electrical switches that can turn a current on or off. The pattern that defines each chip is created by adding and removing material, forming a multi-layered latticework of interconnected shapes. Confused? Don't be. All you really need to know is that these tiny chips and their electrical circuits are vital for almost everything you do today. Not so very long ago, we didn't even imagine the kinds of applications that microtrips have made possible in our everyday lives. My name is Shelley Rigger, and I am a professor of political science at Davidson College in North Carolina in the U.S. Everything you do requires some kind of microchip or semiconductor from your smartphone, your laptop, to much less obvious things like your refrigerator or your automobile. They are controlling the processes that all kinds of mechanical and electronic equipment performs. And they are also the bedrock of communication. And all of those developments rest on the microchip. But it's not just commercial products that rely on microchips. They are also critical for military technology and national security. Semiconductor devices became very critical building blocks in all the electronic systems in our contemporary life. And these systems are really encompassing. They are everywhere, from many commercial systems to defense systems such as missile systems. My name is Dr. Monique Chu. I'm currently lecturing Chinese politics at the University of Southampton. For my PhD research at University of Cambridge, I conducted a very fascinating empirical study of the importance of semiconductors in the global supply chain. And crucially, semiconductors are very important to a country's national security because advanced semiconductors are really building blocks of a country's defense systems. And so therefore, 
if you have a very strong industry at home, your military can really benefit by using the most advanced and reliable semiconductors to increase their precision strike capabilities and their net centric warfare capabilities. And these are really crucial elements in winning a modern warfare. So as a result, semiconductors are really strategic. Today's semiconductor microchips are being used in all kinds of modern electronic devices. My name is Jason Shi. I am a senior fellow at Harvard Kennedy School. I'm also a former legislator in Taiwan. And do we have any knowledge or, or a clear sense of how many of those microchips are being made in Taiwan today? So Taiwan is known as the Silicon Shield with the hallmark company, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, TSMC, which today becomes the world's largest semiconductor companies, producing over 60% of world's chips combined. And 90% of the advanced microchips are also made in TSMC. So you can say that this little island of 36,000 square kilometers is the powerhouse of today's advanced technology. But how and when did Taiwan become this powerhouse in microchip production? The Taiwanese government, recognizing that becoming a kind of low-end manufacturing platform was not a strategy for long-term economic development from the beginning was constantly pushing to move Taiwan up the value chain. The Taiwanese government tried very hard to try to identify a potential area in which Taiwan could excel to really further develop its economy. And so semiconductor was identified as one of these crucial areas. As a result, the government has really shown tremendous support. In addition, I think the overall industry development in Taiwan has really benefited from local talent provision. So the Taiwanese top universities have had a track record of really producing very high quality engineers. And the gradual trusting relationships established among various firms throughout the supply chain. Taiwan is a classic East Asian developmental state in which the government over the past five or six decades has played a pivotal role in identifying strategic technologies and creating the conditions for domestic industry to first gain a foothold in them and then close the gap with the technological frontier. My name is John Lee. I'm the founding director of the East-West Futures Consultancy. In the case of semiconductors, this began during the 1960s, initially with outsourced activity from foreign, mainly U.S. leaders in this sector. And the Taiwanese government provided resources, strategic direction, facilitated technology transfer, and instituted a range of other measures that allowed the development of domestic firms that then were able to upgrade and to eventually move towards technological leadership in this area. It is spearheaded by government leadership, particularly by a technology minister, Dr. K.T. Lee, who first recruited Taiwanese managers and engineers trained by U.S. top universities to return to Taiwan 
to work in this semiconductor field. To name a few, Dr. Morris Zhang, the founder and chairman of TSMC, was recruited from Texas Instruments to return to Taiwan to be the first president of eTree. And later on, eTree spin off a company specialized in chip manufacturing called Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, TSMC. And it was Morris Chang and his company, TSMC, that revolutionized the manufacturing of microchips. Morris Chang was an engineer from Taiwan who was educated in the U.S. and had been working for Texas Instruments in the first part of his career and was one of the folks that was kind of lured back to Taiwan by the opportunity to become an entrepreneur, to develop new technologies, and to really partner with all of the different institutional, entrepreneurial, engineering talents that Taiwan had assembled through this process to create a new business. And what he did that's so extraordinary is he not only built a company, but he actually built a company that was doing something that had never been done before. And that was to manufacture the chips or the wafers on which semiconductors are etched, sort of the raw material that you use to make a semiconductor. Up until Morris Chang and TSMC, companies that were making microchips made the wafer and they etched the design that they had created onto the wafer. And so they made the whole thing themselves. And so they were combining a number of extremely difficult technical functions under a single roof. And what Morris Chang did was to say, we can do the wafer manufacturing and we can do the lithography to transfer your design onto the chip for you so that you, the client, can focus on designing the chip, figuring out the engineering, the electronics, and the product that you're trying to make. And so that concept of the pure play foundry, so just making chips, was something that Morris Chang invented. And he and his company have led that industry pretty much from the very beginning because it's an industry that really he invented. Up until the mid-1990s, there were as many as 20 companies that produced microchips. But by the middle of the 2000s, there were only two or three Well, as you say, as late as the 1990s, there were perhaps 20-odd companies worldwide providing foundry services. And that, at least at the leading edge node, has fallen to two or three, depending on how you count. TSMC, South Korea, Samsung, and a little further behind, Intel and the United States. And the reason essentially has been this process of rising specialization and resource intensity in advancing the technological frontier to smaller and smaller form factors. TSMC, of course, benefited from the various support measures that were provided by Taiwanese authorities, which included identifying relatively early on the technological pathways to focus on, and also arguably on less than optimal decisions by its major competitors, such as Intel, 
to become by the, let's say, early to mid 2000s, the dominant foundry provider at advanced process nodes. But that doesn't mean that all semiconductor manufacturing worldwide is concentrated in Taiwan. A great many chips are still manufactured at older process nodes. For example, semiconductors that are not required to provide computing power at the cutting edge do not need to be manufactured at leading edge process nodes. And so you do find still companies that serve these other industries still operating their own fabrication plants, just not at the same level of technological complexity as is the case with the leading edge foundries. Producing these high-end microchips isn't easy. It requires advanced technology, a highly skilled workforce, and billions of dollars. Yeah, these factories cost hundreds of billions of dollars to build. They have to be super clean. They require a lot of energy and also a lot of water. These are two things that have been a little bit of a challenge for Taiwan. Some of the listeners may remember several years ago, there was an earthquake in Taiwan that brought down high tension wires across the island, and it took some of these semiconductor fabs offline for about three days, and it created quite a tidal wave through global manufacturing. And that was well before we reached the point where we are now of just extraordinary dependence on semiconductors. So it's a demanding process. It's an expensive process. And then perhaps the biggest expense, other than the engineers and technicians who operate these facilities, the next biggest expense would be the equipment that they use to actually etch it's just unimaginable how tiny these lines that they're making in the silicone wafers are. The equipment that they use for the most advanced chips is manufactured by one company in the Netherlands, and each of the machines costs hundreds of millions of dollars. Since the mid-2000s, major companies from the United States, Europe, Japan and China have all relied on Taiwan and specifically TSMC to produce high-end microchips. To start with, the global semiconductor industry has become really globalized. So in other words, there's a very clear division of labor among various firms in different parts of the supply chain. So yes, you're right. End users in Europe, US and China have really relied on the fabrication of chips by firms headquartered in Taiwan. But on the other hand, some of the US and European firms are leading players in providing EDA tools. So these are the tools that the IC design firms have to use. They are also key players in producing semiconductor equipment. For example, SML headquartered in the Netherlands, Applied Materials headquartered in the US are crucial suppliers of 
semiconductor equipment. So in other words, TSMC and Samsung would have to rely on the supplies of these equipment by these West-based companies. So yes, you're right. On the one hand, there has been a heavy reliance on Taiwan in terms of production of chips. But on the other hand, companies like TSMC headquartered in Taiwan have also need to rely on firms based in the US and China for the provision of EDA tools or the semiconductor equipment. The interconnectedness of the semiconductor industry has led to significant economic reward for companies like TSMC in Taiwan, but also for companies that actually use the chips in their products, especially in China. China has warned the Biden administration not to start a new Cold War. Joe Biden inherits a poisonous US-China relationship. Donald Trump accused Beijing of massive commercial espionage, imposing hefty tariffs. Now China wants his successor to change tack. But as economic and political tensions between China and the United States have escalated over the past few years, has China attempted to produce its own microchips? Absolutely. (laughs) The the PRC government has sunk a ton of money into developing its own indigenous semiconductor manufacturing capacity. And they've had some success. They've also been able to import some capacity. So even TSMC has semiconductor fabs in mainland China. They don't make the cutting edge chips there, but they do make a lot of chips there for use in the PRC. However, the incredible technical challenges to this industry have proven very difficult for PRC companies to overcome. So while they are making progress, they are generations behind TSMC. In 2015, Beijing released this Made in China 2025 plan that included a lot of initiatives for indigenous production of technological components that at that point, back in 2015, the PRC was importing, including, they said, by 2025, we are going to use domestic companies to manufacture 70% of all the semiconductors that will be used in goods manufactured in mainland China. Well, it's 2022 and they are nowhere near 70% of being able to produce 70% of what they need. So they are definitely trying. And the more sensitive this industry becomes and the more politicized it becomes, the harder they try because they really cannot afford to be cut off from the supply of this essential component of 21st century manufacturing. The United States is also concerned about its dependence on Taiwanese chips. Just two weeks ago, President Joe Biden signed into law the Chips and Science Act. This act provides billions of dollars to boost domestic research and manufacturing of semiconductors in the U.S. The very fact that the U.S. Congress has passed the CHIPS Act indicates that 
this act is designed to help U.S. deal with various challenge in this chip arena. So even though some of the U.S. firms are major players in the area of EDA tools and equipment, the U.S. in terms of semiconductor fabrication has really heavily relied on Taiwan and other manufacturers in Asia. So this can potentially become a national security issue for the U.S. And interestingly, you can see some parallel development in uh, Europe because the European Union has also introduced a very similar act in attempt to try to really increase the domestic provision of semiconductor manufacturing. But in my view, I think all these state-led efforts have their own constraints. As I said earlier, the semiconductor industry has become really globalized. Taiwan have their own niche in terms of talent provision, in terms of the trusting relationships established among various firms throughout the supply chain. And I wonder if the U.S. or European can actually emulate this Taiwanese model very easily, despite the introduction of the recently introduced state-led efforts to try to increase domestic provision of chips. For most American policymakers, it is still the case, you know, that the free market will put an industry in the place where comparative advantage weighs most heavily in its favor and trying to use some kind of political or legal measures to outsmart or outweigh or subvert the market is unlikely to succeed. So I think if you look at what's really being done right at the moment in the U.S. to try and relocate semiconductor manufacturing capacity into the U.S., it's using sort of traditional methods of attracting foreign direct investment, various kinds of investment incentives, rather than anything more heavy-handed, even though we do sometimes hear people in pundit circles in the U.S. saying, you know, we got to do something about reducing our dependence on semiconductors that are made on the island of Taiwan. One thing I actually want to mention is the importance of Taiwan to the U.S. defense chip industrial base. Because in my own research, I have discovered that the Chinese firms are actually quite crucial players in the U.S. defense semiconductor industrial base. For example, companies like UNC and TSMC churn out semiconductors that have end uses in the U.S. defense systems. And so this really explains why the Pentagon has been quite keen in pushing TSMC to set up its new foundry in Arizona, because that can potentially become another important supplier for home-based provision of chips. Because most of the time we talk about semiconductors in automobiles, we hardly really look at why the Taiwanese semiconductor firms are actually very important in the eyes of the U.S. defense and users. So what you're saying is that much of the U.S. military equipment, the chips for that, even the sort of really high-end chips, would come out of Taiwan. Yes, yes. And this is, again, because of TSMC's crucial role as the world's leading player in the area of process technology. 
US Speaker Nancy Pelosi has stared down threats from China to visit Taiwan. Beijing says the visit is a serious violation of America's promise not to support independence forces. And after deploying fighter jets in the Taiwan Strait, Chinese forces will now surround Taiwan in the coming days, firing missiles to the east, long-range live firing to the west, and even encroaching into Taiwan's territory. In terms of Taiwan's role within the geopolitics of the Asia-Pacific, and in particular US-China relations, I would argue that the semiconductor industry is not a critical factor here, simply because China is itself extremely dependent on Taiwanese companies like TSMC. The much-publicized U.S. export control measures that targeted Huawei, which have had significant impact, not just on Huawei as an individual company, but also on China's 5G infrastructure rollout, were efficacious because of Huawei's reliance on TSMC and other Taiwanese firms to manufacture leading-edge chips, although Huawei now has the capacity through its in-house unit, High Silicon, to design world-leading chips for certain functions, it still relies on the leading Taiwanese foundries to actually make them. And so uh, this is one example of how the inability of Chinese firms to provide every function within the semiconductor value chain makes them highly dependent and all of the industries built on top of that, which China is trying to promote, such as electric vehicles and advanced uses of artificial intelligence and so on, on foreign providers and in particular on certain Taiwanese companies. As a result, China does not actually have a great incentive in terms of the semiconductor industry to create political disruption around Taiwan. And even if we were to talk about a successful Chinese invasion of the island and physical control of TSMC's factories and of its personnel if they hadn't fled the country, this still would not solve the problem from Beijing's viewpoint because these Taiwanese companies are themselves dependent on foreign partners in a highly distributed internationally semiconductor value chain. Taiwan is vulnerable because the PRC leadership, so the Chinese Communist Party leadership, has over the last 30 or so years increasingly constructed the incorporation of the island of Taiwan into the PRC nation state as a core responsibility of the Communist Party. They have put such enormous emphasis on this idea that it is not possible for them to simply step away. However, I don't think that that means they are eager for conflict. And there are so many costs and so many risks and so many unknowns associated with a military conflict over Taiwan that it's a significant deterrent. The value of the semiconductor industry is one of those risks and one of those potential costs, but it's not the only one. The cumulative effect of many risks and and potential costs has been up to now to deter the PRC from acting on its desire to incorporate the island of Taiwan into the People's Republic of China. However, 
there are things I think that could happen that would outweigh even those risks and potential costs. So I think for the Taiwanese government and for those who hope to see Taiwan continue to thrive in the way it has been thriving for many decades, the goal has to be to maximize the risks and potential costs of military action, but also to reassure mainland China that the things it fears the most are not going to happen. And so it's not necessary to incur those costs. Shelley Rigger, Professor of Political Science at Davison University. My other guests, Monique Chu, lecturer in Chinese politics at the University of Southampton. Jason Shi, Senior Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. And John Lee, Founding Director of the East West Futures Consultancy. The program's sound engineer is Russell Stapleton. I'm Annabel Quince, and this is Rear Vision on RN. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.